You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If the Mets' rotation was a band, poor Carlos Carrasco has been relegated pretty much to backup singer at this point, smacking a tambourine against his leg. And that's not really fair for a guy who's been an American League All-Star and is closing in on 100 Major League wins. But he has been dwarfed by Cy Lore, I mean Tyler McGill. See what I did there for Cy? Uh, and, you know, you got Scherzer and Bassett and DeGrom who's yet to even pitch this year. But last night, Cookie Carrasco reminded Mets fans he is still pretty good. And the offense did just enough to help, as did the lockdown bullpen. And we just mentioned bands. Listen to this. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing While your coffee is brewing now Here's Josh Lewin Mets win the opener of a series yet again. They're really good at that. 4-2 the final in D.C. Josh Lewin with you. Just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. We'll get to the Mets' victory against the Nats in just a bit, but... In New York, there is a big-picture buzz right about now about possibilities. And I know it's only May 11th right now, but here are the Mets and Yankees, each 11 games over 500 already, each of them playing terrific baseball in first place and doing it without a fully healthy team, no less. It definitely sends one's mind wandering back, back to the year 2000, when something wonderful happened that summer and fall, Something that captivated the city, nay, the entire nation. And I'm talking about, of course, the phenomenon known as the hamster dance. Yes, that's right. The hamster dance. The baby shark of 22 years ago. This infernal nonsense dominated for three entire months of our lives. And I hated every minute of it even then. Yet still... Here I am, hunting it down on the interwebs, re-releasing it into the wild, and for no other reason, really, than to mess with your poor brain. I can't say I'm proud of doing this, but I can't say I'm not proud of doing this. Well, all right, seriously, we're, we're hearkening back to the Subway Series possibility. That year, the Mets and Yankees really did get down to the boogie down and actually oppose each other in the fall freaking classic, but... Let me throw some tuna fish into the punch bowl in a couple ways. First of all, it is really early. I mean, Atlanta was 14-16 and 16 through 30 games last year, as they are this year, and they won the NL East and a World Series. So uh, if you like the Mets to unseat the Braves, just please keep that in mind. And the Yankees left to fend off the Rays and Blue Jays and Astros, just like the Mets are going to have to beat the Dodgers and Padres and Brewers or whoever else jumps up. Second of all, uh, both the Mets and Yankees had to navigate some nonsense and terrifying odds to make it as far as they did 22 years ago. The Mets had finished with the National League's fourth-best regular season record behind Atlanta, San Francisco, and St. Louis, and they were only invited to the party as a wild card. The Yankees, they had the fifth-best record in the American League behind Oakland, Seattle, Cleveland, and the White Sox. And the final thing that has to be pointed out here, if there's going to be a big market World Series this year, it may not be this particular big market. Going into play last night, the Mets and Yankees had the first and third best records in baseball, but the Dodgers and Angels had the second and the fourth. I know middle America hates this right now, but the four best teams in the majors all are in New York and L.A. 
and uh, so much where you can't spend your way past September. As for the Mets and what happened on a Tuesday night, couple roster notes before the series with the Nats began. Jacob deGrom recently began throwing off flat ground from 60 feet, light intensity. We'll get more testing next week, and if he's cleared to keep going, he is still on track for that June 1st-ish return, which we're all looking forward. But meantime, Sean Reed Foley is headed for what we hoped he wouldn't be headed for, and that is Tommy John's surgery. The heavily tattooed righty reliever is officially done for the year. So, needing another reliever for depth, if nothing else. Ladies and gentlemen, claimed off waivers from the Cubs, may I introduce to you Locke St. John. Not Jacques St. John. That would be awesome if the Mets had brought in a French reliever, a stifle tower out of Le Pen. But uh, no, it's Locke St. John, and he's from Pell City, Alabama, not Paris. Now, only the second best reliever ever to hail from Pell City, Alabama, a little hamlet of 11,000 people, because former All-Star closer Todd Jones is a Pell Cityan as well. Quick aside, since you certainly by now know of my affinity for dad jokes, even if they're inappropriate, not funny, or in this case, both, I once asked Todd Jones about his hometown of Pell City, and he told me, People from there simply never give up. So I said, you mean Pell's Ballsy? And then he spit tobacco juice on my shoes and walked away. That is a true story. Anyway, Locke St. John, that's Locke, L-O-C-K-E, St. John, was claimed off waivers from the Cubs. He'll report for now to Syracuse. Kind of ironically, he was made available by the Cubs because they just called up former Met Robert Gazelman and a roster spot was needed there. He's a sidewinder, funky motion, a former Tiger and Ranger minor leaguer, once a pretty good prospect. I'm guessing we will see a Lock St. John at some point this summer, so be ready. All right, to the game now. Uh, last night's, and then uh, we'll quickly look at tonight's. The projected pitching matchups look, shall we say, favorable, because the Mets were opening up against Patrick Corbin, 0-5 with a 7.16 ERA and a 1.81 whip. He's a guy Mets hitters know very well, uh, and it, it would unspool like they were going to knock him out. They, they never really did. We'll get to that in a sec. But uh, Aaron Sanchez will go tonight for Washington. He's got an 8.56 ERA. Those two guys matched up against Carrasco and Tyler McGill. Uh, first, Carrasco coming off a spectacular performance against the Braves. First met to have gone to eight innings in a start, and he did so against the defending World Series champs, holding them to zero runs mostly because he made sure they were 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. Carrasco, the only pitcher in the majors in the last night to throw more than seven innings and multiple starts this year. He was at seven and two-thirds against the Giants on April 21. The eight shutout innings in that last start against the Braves. Second in the majors with a 43% strikeout percentage with his changeup. Last year, that was at 19%. This year, it's at 43. So that pitch has been great. And he faced the Nats back in the opening series of the year. He was terrific then, one run in five and two-thirds. That was part of that opening three-start run for Cookie, where he had the two walks against 20 strikeouts. But ever since then, four walks, seven strikeouts. So a little bit of helium leaving that balloon into this one. This game was scoreless through the top of the fourth on a breezy 70-degree evening in our nation's capital. But then in the bottom of the fourth, Michael Franco, a two-out RBI double to right center. He's hitting 390 with runners in scoring position this year. That was the bad news. The good news is former Mets third base coach Gary DeSarcina got greedy, tried to wave home a second run, and Yadiel Hernandez was thrown out by about a year and a half, so it stayed 1-0 after four. 
Bottom of the fifth, the Nats added a run on a homer from their catcher, Austin Riley. Sounds like a mashup of home run hitters who have haunted the Mets in the past. Austin Riley and Matt Adams. This is Riley Adams, and he made it 2-0. Mets had had their chances against Corbin. In the third, fourth, and fifth, they had runners in scoring position every inning, could not cash in. Corbin, though, was fluffed up to 86 pitches through those five innings because the Mets were just strafing foul balls all over the yard. Corbin was pulled after five with a shutout intact. Bad idea. Carl Edwards Jr., who sounds like a race car driver, not a ball player, uh, he'd allowed three hits in 14 innings down at AAA, but in his Nats debut, three hits in a third of an inning. The last one with the bases loaded and the 330 hitting Jeff McNeil at the plate. The 1-1 pitch. McNeil hits it hard towards first, under the glove of Bell, trickles off the glove, down the right field line and foul ground, in to score Alonzo, right behind him digging for the plate and scoring standing is Davis, going to third and stopping there is Escobar, and on at second, they'll probably give him a hit, a two-run double is Jeff McNeil, the Mets have tied it 2-2, two to two. a scorcher that Bell looked like he got a piece of, and then it went under his glove and Because it looked like it made contact with his mitt, it slowed the ball on its way down the right field line. That call courtesy of WCBS, and one of McNeil's best traits has been his versatility, both in the field and in the batting order. He has started 15 games at second base, 12 in the outfield. He has batted all over the lineup. He leads the Mets in OPS. He has supplied 15 runs, 12 runs batted in. And the Mets had been 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position until that bullet from the squirrel. And a sack fly would follow from James McCann that brought home Eduardo Escobar. So suddenly 3-2 Mets with that three-run sixth inning. And Carrasco, meantime, able to turn in a six-and-two-thirds kind of night. The two runs allowed, no walks, five strikeouts. So back to form in that regard. Drew Smith, a scoreless inning. Joely Rodriguez, a third of an inning. Let's talk about those guys. Because in the Mets' search for a critical high-leverage arm, Drew Smith has been really good. Tommy John's surgery and a shoulder injury had limited his potential his first four seasons in the big leagues, but he's broken out this year. 13 and a third scoreless innings, 17 strikeouts, a 0.7 whip. And Rodriguez brought in right at the end of spring training for Miguel Castro straight up. He has not given up a run in his last eight outings, and uh, the recent success for him has knocked his ERA down to four and a half after he had given up five runs in his first three innings as a Met. Mets got a little bit more to their lead, by the way, in the top of the ninth. Mark Canna reached on an error. He was batting in the two-hole, by the way, took an 0 for 5. But eventually, he'd score on a J.D. Davis sack fly. Canna's got just two extra base hits. He's got one double, one homer. And he's in the midst of having a slugging percentage fall for a third straight year. But he's a 300 hitter with a really excellent approach up there. And he's been a very nice piece of the puzzle. Edwin Diaz called on to save it in the ninth. He'll be facing his former Seattle team this coming weekend, by the way, at City Field. One out single by Nelson Cruz, who's hitting only 158, but Diaz able to get a double play ball to end it, and lately he has been absolutely in form. He's converted each of his last six save opportunities. He's got that wipeout slider dialed in. He's got 21 strikeouts in 12 innings, got a one and a half ERA. The final line score, 4-8-0 for the Mets, only one extra base hit all night. That was a game-breaking double by McNeil, which was kind of a borderline error by Bell over there. Maybe could have stopped it, but for Washington, two errors anyway in there that did count. Two runs, eight hits, two errors. They hit into three double plays, including the one to end the game. They've got 33 of those already this year in 31 games. Yikes. 
In fairness, it wasn't a, a perfect game offensively for the Mets either. 12 left on base, just two for 14 with runners in scoring position. But four runs were enough. And after it was over, here was the skipper, Buck Walter. And I just have players that, you know, embrace that. So it's, you know, they came with that skill set. So, <clears throat> you know, Mac had a great uh, night, uh, some great base running, great tags. Uh, we had a big relay and... Uh, uh, Eski made a big catch of a pop-up out of a shift. And uh, no, I don't want to forget five or six things, but we pitched well. You know, it starts with Carrasco. You know, Carlos was good again and uh, got the job done out of the pen. You know, big out from uh, Joe Ellie, And then Edwin continues to... Uh, goes without saying, but a lot of, you know, even uh, Eski, I thought, I thought he blocked Bell out a little bit on the uh, double by, by Mac. Uh, Great line drive read by Lindor to get back and not get doubled off. We've been, you know, the players have been stressing that about running the bases. So a lot of people contributed. I thought McKeon had a great night. Two big throwouts. You know, Smitty did a good job of holding the runner and being one-two to the plate to give him a chance. And uh, so just a lot of contributors. You mentioned Carrasco, and obviously he's had such a good start to the season. But why do you think he's been able to be so efficient with his pitches? Um... I just think he's he's able to finish some things. You know, he's able to get over his leg and really uh, extend and, and get uh, through his delivery. And, you know, it's it's hard to pitch when you're not 100%. And, you know, Carlos, the way he is, you know, he's going to, um, you know, can try, try to compete. And I just think he's in a lot better place physically. McNeil's hitting 370 with runners in scoring position. Just what do you think uh, helps him keep him cool? He's his cool in those moments. I just I think he's got so many. It's like a, a pitcher with a lot of weapons. He's got a lot of weapons at the plate. You know he can. Uh, you know he's got great feel for the barrel, of the bat, and he can. Uh, the old hit him where it's pitched, but he can maneuver the bat, and he's one of those. It's like a point guard coming down and surveying the defense and deciding where you know he's going to deliver the ball sometimes it's not that easy you know it's not like the ball standing still you know, there's some really good arms out there but uh, you know Carlos didn't let it get away from him and kept us intact at two nothing all right there you have it the Mets win it and get to 21 and 10 the sad sack Nationals drop to 10 and 21 Pete Alonzo another fine game he's hitting 344 in May an OPS of over a thousand he had two walks and an opposite field single in this game a lot of opposite field damage for the polar bear this year. Uh, Lindor had two hits to creep back to a 246 batting average now. McNeil, two hits. Even James McCann had a hit to get close to 200 now. He's at 196. So let me ask you this Who are your top five Mets so far in 2022? This is a, a totally grab bag list that I very hurriedly came up with when I asked myself this question just before I, I turned on the mic. I'll give Chris Bassett number five. Uh, got that very expansive repertoire. He's kind of befuddling people so far. 2.4 ERA. Max Scherzer or Starling Marte for number four? I guess I'll go Marte with four. He's been down a little bit of late, but he's got 20 runs batted in. That's second on the team. A lot of that from the leadoff spot. He scored 17 runs as well. Then Scherzer at three. Uh, the biggest offseason addition has been as advertised. Four and one. 49 strikeouts in 37 innings. 2.9 ERA. Then let's go McGill at number two, because when DeGrom went down, there was widespread panic. He has eased our jangled nerves as he's developed into that front-end 
kind of guy. 2.4 ERA. He will be on the mound tonight. And then I got to go Alonzo. He's got that opposite field approach. He says they're pitching him that way, so he's hitting him that way. Makes a lot of sense. He's a cleanup man. He leads in home runs, runs scored, runs batted in. Very mature approach. Batting average is about 20 points higher than his career major league average right now. So I'll go Alonzo number one at this point. Back with a final thought after this. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Thought we'd give you a look at what some former Mets pitchers are doing right now. Marcus Stroman, uh, not having a good year. He's on the IEL with a 5.13 in Chicago. Noah Syndergaard having a very good year with the Angels, as is Aaron Loop. Those guys are at 2.4 and 1.4, respectively. Miguel Castro has done a nice job for the Yankees at 1.8 for the ERA. Hansel Robles has a 2.2. Chris Flexen in Seattle a 4.2. Steven Matz, ugh, we talked about him just the other day, 7.01 now. How about Rafael Montero, the guy that was more ballyhooed than DeGrom when they came up in tandem together years ago? He has discovered something at age 31. As a Houston Astro now, a 0.73 ERA out of their bullpen, three walks and 17 strikeouts. Anyway, as for current Met pitchers, Tyler McGill tonight. There's one more game still to be played in this series. That will be tomorrow afternoon. Then the Mets come home to face Seattle and St. Louis in that order. Let's meet the Mets in the morning house band before we get out of here. Thanks very much to our keyboard player, the lefty Randy Jones, working quickly as always. Slapping to base, Dave Gallagher. The horn section, Chris Benson. And on drums, Aaron Laffey. This is Josh Lewin. Appreciate you listening. Again, the happy final from last night. It was the Mets 4 and the Nationals 2. Take it easy. Let's go Mets.